This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 495, just six episodes short of 500, of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Bob. You know what? I'm going to let you have that one. I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. Together, Matt and I are cursed to protect the arcane stepped pyramid we discovered in the ancient caverns underneath Omaha, Nebraska. In the meantime, we sent our Moloid servants to San Diego Comic-Con to bring us back the juiciest gossip. Don't forget uh, variants and exclusives, too. I mean, oh, they were in charge of a lot of things. Especially if here. they are like nude, you know, nude variants. I just, I look, I just wanted the Oscar thing, all right? No, no. <laughs> the, freak. Like, for flipping on eBay, those things rake in the bucks. Just ask on Aaron Myers. On this week's perverted episode, Joe and I tip our cowboy hats and ride out to rustle up all of last week's Comic Con news. Then we'll even review a few of this week's comics. Joe, time's a wasting. Let's saddle up, grab our lassos, and hog tie us some Comic Con news. It's all cowboy themed from here out. So Yeah, that was a real cowboy growl you just did. Yeah, no, I mean, that's got to stay what it is. All right, well, we're going to go pretty quick through some of this stuff, but we'll take time to talk about the important things, and I figure Matt and I, we're just going to volley it back and forth. Sure. Kind of off-the-cuff style. Let's start with the big boys, shall we? Yeah, first up, DC News. We've got some hands-on reports from Comic-Con of the DC Universe app, which DC revealed will be $7.99 per month. Or $74.99 per year with three months free. That sounds like a pretty decent deal. Marvel, 70, Unlimited, Marvel Unlimited month to month is 10 bucks. How do we feel? $7.99 I think that's a month. Super reasonable. Even uh, after seeing that Titans trailer that we're going to talk about in a little bit, you still feel that's very reasonable? <laughs> well, the TV shows are not my prime focus. We right. know this. Yes. Uh, pre-orders are available now for yearly subscriptions. And then when the service launches, you can sign up for the month to month if that's your thing. Uh, the reports were generally positive. Apparently, the comics library is very robust. It includes full runs of both popular and obscure titles. That's all we asked for. I and mean, I mean, it's not comprehensive. It's not going to be as vast as Marvel Limited probably at first, but... Right. They're going to rotate things new and old in and out. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm waiting. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to wait. I, I'm going to sign up at least for a month. Okay. I did sign up for the beta. I, don't, I haven't heard anything back from that. I don't know if the beta has actually launched. Is the but, beta free? Like to give you a taste of it? Well, I mean, I, I assume if you're a beta tester, you don't have to pay for it. That's how so. it usually works. It's the WB. So I'm going to give it a try. And, you know, there's more than just the Titans show, which, again, we're going right. to talk about in a little bit. We'll, we'll get there. Moving right along, there's a new Shazam series coming in November by Jeff Johns and Dale Eaglesham. It looks to continue the same Shazam family version from the Johns Gary Frank miniseries. That was like, what, 10 years ago almost? No, it was during the New 52. There were bu- backups in Justice League. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. I don't know. I mean, that's not my favorite Shazam, but I, I love Dale Eaglesham. I do too. And it looks like the Shazam we're getting. Now, we've, we'll talk about that trailer in a little bit here as well. But this looks like the Shazam we're getting. There's going to be a family involved. 
there's going to be sharing of powers. Yep. And, you know, it's not that that, like, there has been a Shazam family in the past. There was sure. Mary and Freddie and Uncle yeah. Dudley and uh, Hoppy the Marvel Bunny and all that shit. <laughs> um, this is more like he's sharing his powers with his fellow foster siblings. Okay. And, you know. I trust Johns. I love Eagle Sham. I'm I have glad, no problem I'm with glad this. I'm Johns in. is back to full-time writing. I love Dale Eaglesham. That dude yeah. doesn't get enough work. I think it's going to be fun. I'm going to read it. He has not been working for a little while here, right? I haven't. I don't remember the last time I saw his name on something. It's been a little bit. We got some big news coming from Kelly Sue DeConnick, who is taking over Aquaman with artist Robson Rocha. Here's a quote. It's in many ways a reexamination of who the character is, and it's similar to Daredevil's Born Again or Batman Year One. It's a reexamination of what makes the character tick. Uh, there's some ma- mama issues, mommy issues, I guess. Really? Uh, well, there's a lot of different versions of Aquaman's origin. I think the most recent version is that his mother was uh, the queen of Atlantis. Okay. And uh, his biological father was the lighthouse keeper robson rocha let's talk about him or i've roca. seen robson rocha's name on stuff i think but it's i, can't I think it's roca what. because it's spanish for the road do you know mm. that there you go i thought it was spanish for the roach no that's el cucaracha oh <laughs> <laughs> uh so racism like, hey look man i don't know uh so it's a lot a lot of family drama a lot of psychoanalysis the story itself starts with him washing up on a mysterious island. He's got amnesia. He doesn't know who he is, and so he's got to discover that he's the king of the seven seas all over again. And how that happens is he meets all these other people on the island who are mysterious and very unusual, and you find out that these people are sea gods. Oh my god. We're going in a real direction here. They're gods of the sea that have been thrown out from the very angry ocean. Okay. Oh, and then they say, I think I spoke too much. <laughs> They may be revealed a little more than they should have. Fair enough. I trust DeConnick, and I think she's a rad choice. A weird choice for Aquaman, maybe, but a cool choice. Like, I would have never guessed this was the job she was going to get if they said she's getting a DC job. Yeah, so after this next bullet point, we're going to talk a little bit about these creative switches. So go ahead. All right. All right. Graham Morrison and Liam Sharp are relaunching The Green Lantern. Centered on Hal Jordan, the series will focus on Hal Jordan's role as a space cop with the first arc involving escaped intergalactic prisoners, and Morrison describes the series as being a police procedural, less universe-ending cosmic crises. Haven't we been calling for this for 15 years? And I thought we were supposed to get this. I mean, really? Years ago. Uh, and I love that Grant Morrison is coming in to do this. And it sounds like this, I mean, it's going to be in outer space, so it could be weird as hell. But well, it he's going like to be g- splitting his time between earth and, and space. Right. And that's going to kind of be the, like the weird dichotomy of the character because on earth he feels lost. Right. Cause okay. he has no roots. Sure. But and I think this might keep Morrison a little more grounded than we've seen him. This for a while sounds as well. like something much more down to earth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, can, yeah. you know, that's a weird phrase considering, but 
you know, no, what just I mean? in the sense that like the last few projects Morrison has had have been these reality bending, bizarre time warping, you know, this is a police procedural about the green lanterns. And where else do we really go after major event, after major event, after major event, after major event, just once I would like to read that the guardians are not trying to fuck the entire lantern core over. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? like, uh, the first story arc is just about him, like tracking down three fugitives. That sounds awesome. I, I'm totally into that. So speaking of these creative shakeups with Morrison and, and Kelly Sue, these are pretty big moves from DC. They're huge. And I, you know, I, I'm sad to see Dan Abnett go and definitely you know, the because guys Dan that Ab- have been working on Green Lantern has, have been doing good things. And Abnett's Aquaman has been wonderful, man. It's been wonderful. But DC has really like done a good job this summer getting marquee creators back to their company absolutely without a doubt and i think it's because they have just basically sent out letters saying we're sorry we were wrong (laughs) we don't know that (laughs) we we screwed up but they are they are making big strides in in creative freedom with like black label and giving out all these boutique imprints yeah i definitely think young animal guys like steve orlando guys like Tom King, like seeing what those guys are doing there. I think other people are going, okay, this looks like an exciting place to work again. Speaking of Steve Orlando, we've got a new miniseries coming from Steve Orlando and travel foreman called electric warriors, which I believe was an actual miniseries in the eighties. Definitely. I'm looking it up right now, but I know it was. I've seen the covers. I can see the covers in my head. This is spinning out of Jack Kirby's commandy timeline in 2735, the Earth emerges from the great disaster to rejoin the galaxy, finding a universe teetering on the brink of galactic war. To forestall Armageddon, interplanetary conflicts are settled through trial by combat with diplomatic gladiators known as Electric Warriors. Against the bloody battlefield of the dead Sector 666, these lone warriors sacrifice their lives to ensure that their worlds may live in an always fragile peace. The book launches in November. This is actually set in Jack Kirby's dystopic future great disaster story. It's it spins right out of there. They are really like digging up some old <laughs> yeah. stuff. Oh yeah. I'm heavy into it, man. <laughs> Travel Foreman 2735 post- is when this takes place. Uh Travel Foreman posted all of these like super bonkers character designs. It's it looks like something really creative and out there sci-fi fun. Yeah, Foreman's so cool. And I love Steve Orlando. I do too. I'm totally into this. There's a new Black Label series coming from Mark Silvestri. Batman, Joker, deadly duo. Silvestri said the premise of his story is that someone is screwing with the Joker. Quote, screwing with. Yeah, quote, screwing with the Joker. They've taken something important to him, and Batman is forced into teaming up with him after someone kidnaps Jim Gordon and starts sending pieces of his body to him on a semi-regular basis. Yikes. Batman, the Joker, no, deadly wait, wait, duo. Wait. This is my favorite part. Read it slowly. <laughs> Batman, the Joker, deadly duel will be around 7.5 issues long. What? <laughs> I don't know what that means. 7.5 issues. <laughs> and of course, like all the black label books, this one exists out of continuity. I'm sorry. There's not a world where Batman teams up with the Joker. No. I mean, it's out of continuity. So whatever. I get it. I don't care. Like, it, uh, no, I you're don't welcome care. <laughs> Jim Gordon. You're welcome, Jim Gordon. All your body parts are safe. Yeah. 
I and I'm sorry, Mark Silvestri lost me a while ago. Yeah, I don't really honest. care either. Yeah. News I do care about though. Pete Tomasi and Doug Mankey are the new permanent permanent Detective Comics creative team starting with 994 and news that warmed my heart. The old costume is returning with the bat trunks. Nice. So it's they posted an image and it's like, I would say the no man's land version, right? With just the black bat and the belt that's big pouches. I mean, yes, we've already brought Superman's look back. There's no reason not to bring Batman's look back. Now, with that said, I have not been as offended by Batman's look. I'm not super offended by Batman's look either. You know but what I mean? I will say this, like there's been a trend since I would say the new 52 launched. Okay. And every time you've, you've got to depict Batman, he's got like armored gloves covered in buttons and a belt right. that's like yeah. full of buttons. And like, where does he keep his batarangs in that and thing? And like techier and techier and techier. Looking, right. Like yeah. I don't need Batman to actually look like he's got all that tech. Like I love the idea that Batman's suit looks simple. Right. And it looks like something he can get around in very easily. Yeah, no, definitely. Secretly underneath it all, he's got all this weird gadgets woven into it. Yes, but I don't want him like Iron Man. I don't need that. No, right. Exactly. Like, I don't need like fucking gauntlets on Batman. No. Which is what he's had for the last like six or seven years. Speaking of Batman, the Batman who laughs, a six issue miniseries written by Snyder and drawn by Jock. Spins out of metal and Justice League, and it debuts in November. The Batman Who Laughs is coming back, and he's got a big plan. And he's bringing a new Dark Knight with him. Another evil version of Bruce. A version of Batman where Bruce kills Joe Chill with his own gun. The night his parents were killed. A Punisher who isn't broken. No, no, no. I think they really meant broke, as in money. <laughs> oh, a Punisher who isn't broke. I yeah. think you're right. <laughs> like, I had an N. I was like, come on, DC, you can do better. But no, he's like the Punisher if you were rich. I see. Uh, uh, this is not a black label thing. Nope. But it's in I'm continuity. Not. They specifically said it was in continuity. And it's more of like the Judge Death Batman, the... It was like the Batman with like the nails in his head. And yeah, he wore a spiked halo kind of. Yeah, it was really weird. And I love the character. He was super scary. Do I need more In that one story. He was super scary in that one story. Well, I mean, he was also in the metal miniseries too. He was there. I don't know how much more of this I need. I don't need any more of it. Like I, I like I am in favor of more work by Scott Snyder and Jock. Yeah, I love as a as a together. duo. Yeah. But like, I am, I don't need more like edgelord evil Batman. Like we had that story, put that story to bed. Yeah. I mean, now there's a chance it could be great. I'm not clamoring for this one. Yeah, exactly. And like, I also don't need a more eviler version of Batman with guns. You know, it's just most evilest. The most evilest. Yeah. Most (laughs) evilest Batman. Speaking of evilest, Wonder Woman slash Justice League Dark colon The Witching Hour is a five-part weekly crossover event starting in October, written by James Tinian IV, who will take over both books during the event. The event will then be bookended by two 48-page one-shots. Here is a synopsis. Hecate? I think it's how you pronounce it. Hecate, the witch goddess... It's like Takati. Hecate. Hecate. (laughs) Takate. The witch goddess of magic always knew a day would come when the monsters she stole her magic from would return. Now she must activate the witch marked. 
Humans within whom she secreted vast stores of power. This hits Justice League Dark especially hard because one of the most powerful of the Witchmark turns out to be Wonder Woman. Oh, Shabazz! Uh, so yeah, this is taking place in the actual titles, Wonder Woman and Justice League Dark. Tinian right. will take over briefly during the month of October. Two one-shots. Eh, it's fine. It sounds fine. Uh, Justice League Dark came out this week. It was good. It We're going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. I really like, I love Tinian and the Four. And I like that he's been turned loose to do what he's doing. I'm not going to spoil my review, but I will tell you I was excited about it. This sounds cool as hell. And we haven't really seen, like, what happens if Wonder Woman turns. Yeah. What happens? We've seen it it happen to Superman. We've seen it happen to Batman. We've seen it happen to everybody else. I don't think we've ever seen, like, what happens if Wonder Woman goes bad. You might be right. I mean, maybe it's just personal taste. I just didn't think it sounded that interesting, but... I did really like Justice League Dark, and I do like James Tinian the Four a great deal. So I'm definitely going to read it. I think it's going to be cool. All in all, collection of fun news from DC. Let's DC did let's, a good job this year. Let's turn our binoculars to the right slightly, and we'll take a look at Marvel, shall we? Yeah. Mar- the Marvel Knights imprint is relaunching under the control of writer Donnie Cates. Cates is picking the creative teams himself, beginning with Teeny Howard, Matthew Rosenberg, and Vita Ayala. They did not say what books they would be working on. (laughs) The new Marvel Knights line will feature characters from the original 1998 lineup and is scheduled to launch in November with a one-shot MK20 number one. God, that name's terrible. Drawn by Mike Diodato Jr. I would like to be a little more excited about this. I love all those those creators. I Uh, do too. But this strikes me as a non- Announcement, announcement. Right. The, other than the one shot, they didn't really announce anything. Um, I will say, though, that I loved Marvel Knights when it oh, launched. Oh, I did, too. I did, so too. So <laughs> the characters that were in the original lineup were talking Daredevil, the Punisher, Black Panther, and the Inhumans. We'll see. We uh, have been kind of down on the Inhumans lately. I'm guessing they switch that up a little bit. I'm guessing this will be more street-level stuff. I would like to see, like, I would be more excited if they said uh, Donnie Cates is bringing about the Spirits of Vengeance, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, they just weird. had a Spirits of Vengeance book, and it was written by Frank Thierry, so you Yeah, and it wasn't good, so what can you do? Speaking of returns, Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham are going to resume work on Miracle Man for 2019. How I, do we feel? Am I an asshole if I don't care at all? I don't give two shits, man. I just don't care. I'm going to read it and it'll probably be, it'll probably be pretty good. Look, but I don't care. Marvel print, Marvel put out reprints of the original Miracle Man series and I still didn't read them. I've read them and I read them back in the day. The reprints were nice because they touched them up and it looked really good and all, but I just don't care anymore. Miracle Man. So much hype and so many delays and so many starts and stops. I just, I don't know. I don't I mean, know if Neil, I'll ever read Miracle Man. This is Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham coming together to work. That is huge. Those are okay? amazing creators, dude. That and is I love huge. Them. And the fact that we're coming back to Miracle Man should be so exciting that we can't stop talking about it and we both barely care. So that true. ought to tell you the state of Miracle Man at Marvel. If you love the Spider-Verse, wait till you Get a load of Spider-Geddon. Wow, my butthole. <laughs> that name is terrible. But there was all kinds of Spider-Geddon news. I don't think we've ever. I don't think oh, we goodness. mentioned Spider-Geddon on the show because they kind of announced it in emails. No, yeah, there there was like a Spider-Geddon news 
No, we really didn't talk about it on the show. Yeah, there was like some spider getting email shit that came out, but nobody really knew much about it. They've been holding it back. But finally, we're getting our first look at spider getting the sequel to Spider-Verse, beginning with Spider-Force number one of three by Christopher Priest. Sweet. Is that a defection? No, he's written for Marvel. I mean, I know he has, but it's been a while since he has. I mean, he's not like exclusive or anything. That's Christopher Priest with art by Paolo Sicaria. After that, we get Vault of Spiders, one of two. It's an anthology series by Cullen Bunn, Jed McKay, and more, which leads me to believe there's people, different people working on every issue. Well, it's an anthology. Uh, very uh, similar to Edge of Spider-Verse. Right. Which introduced Spider-Gwen and whatnot. Spider-Girls, number one, by Jody Hauser, who wrote some Wonder Woman for a minute there, with Andres Ginolet, right? How does that sound? Um, sure. Ginolet. I like it. Andre Ginolet. Uh, so this, uh, I think this one is noteworthy because it's bringing back the original Spider-Girl, I guess I would say. The yes. Mayday Parker version from the yes. 90s. Which and is also fun. Aranya. Aranya? The heart of the spider? Uh, though I think, they're <laughs> calling, I think they're calling her Spider-Girl now. Whatever. And Annie Mae Parker, who is... Uh, Spiderling from Renew Your Vows. Together for the first time. So we're going to revisit all the different Spider-Verse characters again. I can only assume there's going to be more bug people that are yeah, traveling. Yeah, yeah the inheritors the are coming back. Trying to kill them. Vault this, of, Vault of look, Spiders is bringing back um, Supida-Man, who is the <laughs> Spider-Man giant robot from the Japanese live-action Spider-Man <laughs> show. <laughs> And also, I believe it's introducing a Wild West version called the Web Slinger. Here's what worries me. I really liked Spider-Verse. It was a ton of fun. But I think the reason that I liked it was because you had Dan Slott steering that ship. Oh, now, Dan Slott is also involved. He is involved. In the, but, main, in the main series. But he's not on any of these titles. And we Sp- just did this. Spider-Verse also had a lot of tie-ins. It's true, and some of them were great, and some of them were fine, and some were. Eh. Look, like, I mean, mean, some of them like. Don't you feel like we just finished this though? It seems like it wasn't that long ago. Yes. Yeah, I feel like we just finished this. But and however, Marvel, like, and Marvel this, said Spider Gwen has had two or three distinct ongoing series since the end of Spider Verse. Marvel has also restarted three times in the last year. So. You're right. <laughs> uh, you know, no, I mean, you know, I think it'll be fun, but I think it'll also be kind of popcorn fluff. It just seems a little out of place with Marvel trying to get back to Spidey's roots like they have an amazing Spider-Man. And now we're going to do this again. Feels kind of like having trying to have your cake and eat it, too. I will also say this. Uh, I will never want anyone to revisit the concept of Spider-Man getting his powers from a mystical spider totem. Yeah. It's just which dumb. Dan Slott could have easily flushed down the toilet, but didn't. Maybe they wouldn't let him. Maybe they wouldn't let him. I don't know. Maybe he said, you know what? I can, I got a way to make it sound cool. Yeah, that could be. But because maybe he said, I want to get rid of it. And they said, no. And he said, what if I made it sound different? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is paired with the news that Spider-Gwen is getting another ongoing title. Spider-Gwen, a.k.a. Ghost Spider. That is the worst that title is for a comic book. Terrible. 
written by Shannon McGuire with art by Rosie Campy covers by Bengal, who is other, awesome. other than Bengal. I have not heard of either of these people. I don't know any of them. And spider ghost is a terrible name. Although well, ghost my, spider, uh, pardon me. Ghost spider is a terrible name. Although maybe better than spider Gwen. Ghost spider is better than spider Gwen because her name in the book is not even spider Gwen. It's spider woman. Right. And so it it's confusing for one thing. It doesn't make any sense. And this seems like it's going to muddy that water even further. So in the, in the new animated series, Marvel rising, she is referred to as ghost spider. So there you go. We're so they're just, into they're that. synergizing their paradigms and that's fine. And maybe you should have done that from the beginning and just thought about it a little more. I don't know, but I feel like they sure have muddied that water and confused any fan of this book. And at this point with three different relaunches for this title, going to be hard to sell this one to people and you know what i i don't know these i don't know these creators so no offense to them but it's going to be really hard to follow jason latour yeah and robbie rodriguez on that oh yeah good luck we got some more returns are you ready now wait a minute wait a minute joe before we get into this one this might be the biggest announcement that they made (laughs) this november brace yourself oh my god for the return oh my god of Uncanny X-Men. Are you serious? They're finally bringing him back. Joe, who is behind this one? No further info was <laughs> given. <laughs> like, ladies and gentlemen, this November, we will be releasing an X-Men comic book. A comic book. Moving right along. <laughs> yeah, we are going to move right along. Uh X-Men Black is a weekly series of one-shots coming in October featuring longtime villains Magneto, Mojo, Mystique, Juggernaut, and sometimes villain Emma Frost. They're each going to star in an issue, and there's going to be an apocalypse backup story throughout, written by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson. Here are the creative teams. The Emma Frost book is by Leah Williams and Chris Boccolo. That's awesome. Magneto is by Chris Claremont. Woo! Oh my God, no! <laughs> who uh, and Dalibor Talajic, uh, Chris Claremont, uh, who oh, no. infamously enjoys a Marvel exclusive contract where they pay him to write nothing. Yes, Mojo is by podcast superstar Scott Aukerman. That's so crazy. <laughs> With art by Nick Bradshaw, Mystique is by Sean and McGuire and Marco Again. Fiala. We're seeing that name pop up a lot, so maybe this is going to be somebody. Sean and McGuire is writing Ghost Spider. Oh. Well, no, I'm saying I think that they may be banking on this creator because Maybe. we're seeing his name pop up here and there. And Juggernaut will be by Robbie Thompson and Sean Crystal. Uncanny X-Men, like, I'm happy to have that title back. Here's of what course. I don't want. Do not give me another Black Ops team of X-Men murderers. No. No, and I don't think they will. And I think that was they've... the last Uncanny X-Men. It yes. was Sabretooth and all that shit. I think they've realized we fucked it up and we need to just bring the X teams back together and stop giving them colors and stop giving them like, ugh, I'm so tired of blue and gold and red and all this bullshit. Just give me the X-Men. Like, just I'm, give me I'm the fine with X-Men. the X-Men black as like a short term theme. Fine. Because it's about villains. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm lukewarm on these X-Men announcements. Yeah. Nothing here is freaking me out. I mean, I like some of those artists. Uh, Chris Claremont, though, writing something in continuity. Been a while since that's happened. Whoa, baby. (laughs) Joe Patrick, the vision is returning in a new six issue mini series in November. Co-written by Chelsea Kane and Mark Mohan. They are, they are husband and wife. Okay. Who are they? Who are they? 
Chelsea Kane wrote Mockingbird. Okay. Uh, and she was chased off of all social media by Twitter harassers nice due to her job. run on Mockingbird. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, boys. With yep. art by Oud Koch Arcoke, and covers. Yeah. But art by Ode Koch and covers by Marcos Martin. Uh, they so, really hyped this. Like, oh my God. Yeah, like you this. loved uh, the vision, right? The vision, that miniseries was incredible, right? Here's two creators that had nothing to do with it. Well, yeah, because Tom King went to DC. I get it. Um, but Chelsea Kane, her Mockingbird is phenomenal. It was She's very an good. outstanding writer, and I'm glad she yeah. feels comfortable enough to come back to comics. Uh, Odd Cock, or well, that's probably not the way you say it. <laughs> Odd cock. <laughs> nope. That's his name now. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, yeah. Uh, Odd Coke. She is a very, very talented artist. Uh, I follow her on Twitter. She's very good. I think this is probably one of her first mainstream, mainstream projects. Gotta be right. And Marcos Martin, who doesn't love that guy? The designs he showed in this one looked really cool. I don't know. That's going to be a, a really tough act to follow though. Tom King's vision. So for sure. But I think that the vision as a character still has a lot of momentum. Okay. And so I'm excited for this. All right. The Avengers are getting a new headquarters and a new artist. Artist David Marquez joins writer Jason Aaron with issue number eight as the creative team introduces Avengers Mountain. Is it starting to feel like... Marvel didn't know that San Diego Comic-Con was coming or, you know, I mean, there are announcements technically like, Oh, they're getting a new headquarters. Okay. I mean, mean, like I love David Marquez. David Marquez is fucking fantastic. Yeah. And it's gotta be hard as hell to follow Ed McGinnis on this book. I will say I am still waiting for this new Avengers book to wow me. It has not done that yet. Same. Uh, Ed McGinnis lasted two issues before there was a fill-in on Avengers. Yep. So, I I don't know. Um, Consider past Comic-Cons, especially the last few years where we got to the end of the weekend and we went, wait a minute, nobody announced anything. (laughs) Well, let's just just finish off here. With Marvel's expanding their digital originals program with three new titles, Daughters of the Dragon, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist, Phantom Limb. Cloak and Dagger and Jessica Jones were the first titles in the new line. Each series will be released in print following each story arc of three 48-page issues. Then the titles will take a short hiatus as new arcs are created. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they're like... This barely sounds like an announcement. <laughs> so they're like mini seasons, right? <laughs> right. Uh, Cloak and Dagger came out. They, they stealth dropped Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. On Wednesday with no fanfare, they didn't say anything about their digital originals program. To be fair, I'm not sure they knew that the TV show was coming out on, you know, that quickly. And they were like, no, oh, they, shit, we got this was we got to get a comic out. What are we going to do? This was the same week the show came out. Yeah, I'm making a joke. OK. <laughs> uh, and then uh, this week on Wednesday, they stealth dropped Jessica Jones number one yeah. with no previous announcement and no what fanfare. They, and then they, they said, doing? oh, by the way, it's part of a new program. Yeah. Called what are they doing? Digital Originals. Oh, I'm sorry. It was last week. Jessica Jones came out. Right. But still no fanfare. No, like no one knew that was happening. There nope. was nothing. No, absolutely nothing. 
And so, yeah, now they've said, oh, by the way, it's part of this new initiative, Digital Originals, and it's all TV related, though they are in Marvel continuity. Right. Um, but it's characters that are obviously uh, featuring a TV uh, renaissance or whatever you want to call it. Right. And, you know, that's fine. Uh, the idea that the books are only three issues at a time, double sized, yes. But three months of issues and then you take a break. And no creators. No creators announced whatsoever. Um, no creators were announced during this panel, but I think an email kind of came later. What are they doing? I don't know. Uh, but here is the part that I find the most egregious. Marvel solicits for October came out today. Okay. And Luke Cage, the first trade of the Luke Cage digital original was in those solicits. Okay. It's $20, but each double-sized issue is only $5. So for those of you that aren't math majors, you're paying $20 for $15 worth of comic books. I mean, I can't do that math, but that pisses me off. Uh, so I said this to a retailer friend of mine online today. There's no reason to buy these trades unless you are so anti-digital to the point of self-harm. Right. Absolutely. Like I'm willing to pay five extra dollars to show you how much I fucking hate digital comics. Yeah. Take that Marvel. <laughs> to so be fair, let's, uh, maybe wait. Marvel couldn't do the math either. You know, five yeah, times maybe three. right. Yeah. Five times three is hard. Come on. So uh, let's get away from the business part of it. Uh, like our daughters of the dragon. I love depending on the creators. Hopefully it's good. I'm happy That's to just see that in action. I'm sorry. You can't make announcements like this and not, tell me any creators and expect me to get excited. I will say this. Uh, I'm going to talk about it in a few minutes. The Jessica Jones book is worth every penny. Good. It's so good. Great. Maybe support it. Maybe uh, let us know what's coming out. Maybe tell us about it. I we are a comic book podcast this. that does our homework, that checks, that reads Twitter, well, that looks at the comic list. There it, was no news of this shit. We kind of do our homework, but um, I did read the email announcing the creative teams, and I could tell you that I have heard of maybe 40% of the names. Yeesh. Good Lord. Thumbs up, Marvel. Okay. Big two. Who won the con, Marvel or DC? DC, hands down. <laughs> hands down. And you nope. know how much I hate that question. I know. I know, but it's the truth. There's DC, no question there. DC came, to, DC came to San Diego loaded for bear. Yeah, they came and to play. Like, you know what? Grant Morrison. You know what? Kelly Sue. You know what? Scott Snyder's doing more Batman shit. Here's some DC Unlimited news you've been waiting for. Right. Not to mention the movie stuff, which we're going to get to later. But hey, Miracle Man. Come on. Yeah, right. Miracle Man. Hey, <laughs> listen. Marvel's biggest announcement of the of the con was the return of Supida Man. <laughs> Let's get in the indie news for a minute here. All right. Gail Simone has been named the chief architect of Lion Forge's superhero line at Catalyst Prime, a line that Joe Patrick has been very excited about. Lion Forge has not specified if Simone will write any Catalyst Prime titles going forward. Yeah, though. you know. <laughs> uh, I imagine she probably will, but this seems like she's more of an overseer, like a, an editor. Sure. But, I mean, maybe she's just working in HR. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I like maybe she's like the uh, insurance <laughs> person, the, the yeah, who liaison. Knows? 
Yeah, employee experience. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, she's a fairly big name and Catalyst Prime is a line that has been doing some consistently good work, though I've kind of fallen off of it, I, I'm yeah. afraid to say. It's still, and it's also kind of a blank slate that she could do whatever she wants there and yeah. no constraints. We've seen, we've had fun with Gail Simone's stuff before. I can't remember the name of that Dark Horse uh, project she Welcome had. Welcome to Mega, uh, Leaving Megalopolis. Leaving Megalopolis, a Dark Horse, was yeah. a ton of fun. Good for Gail Simone. I think this is great. Yeah, and I think it's also good for Catalyst Prime, and I'm glad that, like, it seems to me that they're making moves. They're trying to hang on and become maybe a sort of like a Valiant-esque. Right, right. You know, I agree. little engine that could, right? Putting out also, consistent material. And also building from the ground up. We're starting a universe. It's not all disparate. We've thought about this, you know. Right. And attracting creators that have kind of marquee value. Yeah. Speaking of marquee value, the GoBots are returning. <laughs> Korea's knockoff Transformers, the GoBots, the GoBots. <laughs> starting in October. Now, this might change your tune. Tom Scioli will be writing, drawing, coloring, and hand-lettering a five-issue series of GoBots for IDW. I can't tell you. There, there is only one creator that could get me as excited as I am about this, and yeah. it is Tom Scioli. <laughs> this is about the only announcement they can make. For those of you that are too young, the GoBots were Tonka's version of the Transformers. Hasbro eventually acquired the IP, but it's been dormant for over 30 years. They bought it and like shut it down. Like, yeah, like exactly. Burger like King tried to do to Hardy's for a while. There. With you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the existence of GoBots on Earth has changed humans' way of life. They chauffeur us around. They protect us from harm. They do the jobs that are too boring or dangerous for us. They fight our wars for us. They are friends for the lonely. They're replicants. Yeah. The only <laughs> thing they don't do is dream for us, but that could change any day now. For a generation, Leader One and the Guardians have said that they were here to help us. But as they become more integrated into our society, the question must be asked, are they here to replace us? I love it. I totally love it. And I will say the difference between the GoBots and the Transformers is like the Transformers hid and they were like, we transform into vehicles to hide amongst you and, and fight our battles and whatever. The GoBots were like superheroes. They were straight up superheroes. Yeah. So. Look, Tom I kind of, C- like, I, I had some GoBots. Well, I had some GoBots when I was a kid because my <laughs> parents didn't know the difference. <laughs> Tom Scioli is wonderful. And I just talked about his G.I. Joe versus Transformers book that he did at IDW, which was absolutely bonkers it was so much fun yeah and this will look like a sixth grader that smoked too much weed drawing in his notebook you know on yeah lined paper the whole oh deal. i cannot wait for this a new wave of burger books has been announced by dark horse olivia twist a gender swapped version of dickens classic novel about an orphan will go on sale in september the four issue miniseries is written by darren strauss and adam dalva it's illustrated by emma Vaselli and colored by Lee Lalfridge, who is really good. LaGuardia by Nyeti Okafor and Tanya Ford is set in an alternate universe where interstellar aliens have to pass through a New York City airport, very similar to the one from our reality. The protagonist of the miniseries is a pregnant doctor named Future, just sure. like a rapper. Why has she returned to New York? Find out when the first issue goes on sale in October. 
Invisible Kingdom by G. Willow Wilson and Christian Ward is a sci-fi adventure that also deals with faith, religion, and capitalism. First issue will be released in March 2019. Karen Berger was uh, honored with an honorary Eisner at the Eisner Awards, like a Lifetime Achievement Award. So she's riding high right now. Dark Horse has been doing really well with these Berger books. These all sound interesting. The G. Willow Wilson one is obviously the biggest name of right. the group. Right. Uh, but yeah, the, the burger, the burger books have been kind of 50, 50 for me. Uh, she could fly came out a couple of weeks ago. I really liked that one. Yep. I still uh, think they're missing a serious, uh, chance to put a big hamburger on the cover of each one. <laughs> uh, hangry ghost. Of course we didn't like, so we'll see. That was terrible. Yeah. David and Maria Lapham, co-creators of the seminal noir comic Stray Bullets, will bring a One new crime... One of my crime favorite th- series of all time. There you go. They're going to bring a new crime thriller miniseries to Shelley Bond's Black Crown imprint at IDW. Bond announced this on Saturday during IDW's big news panel. Titled The Lodger, the book is slated for release in October with David drawing it while his wife Maria joins him as co-writer just as the couple has done for Stray Bullets. The new book's titular lodger, Bond said, is a villain who hides in plain sight, posing as a handsome drifter while renting rooms in the homes of people whose lives he destroys. Yeah. The comic will be about a woman he has wronged seeking revenge. Oh, and the lodger may or may not be a shapeshifter. Of course. Why not? <laughs> there we I go. Loved, I love this team. I love Stray Bullets. I love David Lapham so much. This sounds cool as hell. I love the Black Crown. I love the Black Crown imprint. I'm having so much fun with it. Now, I know Karen Berger's books are supposed to be where we go to get Vertigo the way that we wanted Vertigo done back in the day, but it sure feels like they're doing that shit at Black Crown right now, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. With that I said, think, I mean, Shelly, Shelly Crown, Shelly Bond was Karen Berger's protege, basically. Right. Right. So, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting a little bit of the same. We're IDW, getting classic vertigo flavor in two places. Yes. Which is fine with me. IDW did steal our name for big news though. That's exactly what I thought. And I think we need to send our lawyer uh, after them. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan Forrest, if you're listening, get those assholes on the phone. Fire up your typewriter. Mateus Santaluoco, a name we love to say on the show, will be both writing and drawing the five-issue miniseries Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder in Hell. So now we have Hellboy in Hell and Shredder in Hell. <laughs> Maybe they'll cross over. <laughs> Which IDW group editor Bobby Kernow calls a spiritual sequel to the beloved secret history of the Foot Clan, which was really, really good. People do really love that storyline. It was fantastic. Here, Shredder discovers his true purpose in the pits of the afterlife and his role in a divine conspiracy. This is scheduled for early 2019. I Uh, gotta tell you, I dodged Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for a long time just because I thought I didn't care anymore. And it was actually Shonix who screamed me down and made me read some of that stuff. Yep. And now I can't get enough of it. They are killing it with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at IDW. I mean, I feel nothing for this announcement, but that's only because I don't read the book. Fair enough. I will say, though, that Mateus Santaluoco is a outstanding artist. Yeah, crazy talent. The preview art for this series was 
amazing. Now let's see if he can write. Right. That's it for comic news, Matt. Time to move into uh, the real reason we go to San Diego Comic-Con. TV and movie news. I like to call it Holly Weird. Oh, that's uh, very clever. James Gunn was fired from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 after alt-right trolls dug up a bunch of, to be quite frank, very offensive tweets. But they were from a decade ago, and James Gunn apologized for them, and by all accounts, he has grown to become a much better person, blah, blah, blah. That's just it. He got out ahead of this already. He apologized. Disney knew what they were getting into. I find it very hard to believe that there was going to be another outcry based on this. Right. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. uh, Not DC. I'm sorry. Disney. Disney made a knee-jerk reaction and gave in to... The alt-right. Well, not so, just the alt-right, but like fake alt-right pressure. Yeah. There wasn't even a real thing going on here. These are these assholes who know how to make it look like there's a whole mob behind them. And th- there's all these people that are super upset about them. This well, is what this Cirkovich guy and this Jack Ibram, I think his name is. This is what these assholes do. They paint targets on people and they go after them because yes, they don't I, like their politics. Like, I mean, this is not a conversation for this show, but I think it's dangerous to discount their numbers. I, I think it's dangerous to dismiss them no. as the silent or the vocal major. Uh, pardon me, the vocal minority, because that downplays how dangerous they are. But. We talked about this in length on Cover to Cover. If you want to talk about that or hear us talk about it, listen to that. That was from Monday. Let's get into that fucking Titans trailer. Shall we? The Titans trailer. (laughs) So we've been told that we've got a live action Titan series. It is coming to the DC app. Get excited, everybody. It's taking place in that. Marv Wolfman, Titans era, the beloved time where everyone was trying to get out from under the shadow of their mentors. And it immediately opens with Robin not only picking up a gun and shooting three people dead and breaking a guy's neck, but turning to the camera and saying, fuck Batman. I don't know how you could get this character any more wrong. Not to mention the fact that, and we're going to go into some other trailers, like right after this, where people saw a lighter side of the DC universe and went, that looks fun. That looks great. That looks like what I'm waiting for. What in the blue fuck are they doing with this? Seriously. Okay, so to address the dialogue briefly, this is supposedly inspired by a time where Dick Grayson was indeed on the outs with Batman. Sure. So I don't, I'm not like super at odds with him saying fuck Batman. I mean, I was a teen. Okay, back. I cuss all the time. Sure. Absolutely. However. If he killed four people and then said fuck Batman, do you think Batman would be like, I'm willing to look past that and take you back, Dick? You've yeah. obviously learned your lesson now that you've become a murderer. The tone of this show is so completely at odds with the tone of the new Teen Titans from the early 1980s. Terrible. That comic was all about the angst of growing up and becoming your own person in the, in the, in the midst of a, a, a much more looming shadow. What it never was, was truly dark. Right. Like they fought fucking Trigon, who is basically the DC devil 
on a re- on a regular basis. But that show still was kind of that comic. Pardon me, was still lighthearted and fun, and it had a sense of adventure. Absolutely. And this trailer was so bleak, and like it's got Hawk and Dove in it briefly, and Dove, who by the way is the avatar of peace, right. Is like using the sharp edges of her cape to slice the Achilles tendons of a bunch of criminals. Yeah, this just looks awful. This looks misunderstood. This looks like a step backwards for them. This is stupid. And if you watch the crowd after it was done and it dropped down and they brought the lights back up, the crowd silent, (laughs) absolutely silent, just like. What in the fuck was that? Starfire looks terrible. (laughs) I mean, like, there is nothing redeeming about this. It just looks bad. Bad, bad, bad. Don't do this. Somebody got a hold of a Warner Brothers studio person, and that person, like, bent over backwards to explain all the ways how Robin didn't actually kill those people. He just busted that guy's jaw, and he shot the gun over their heads. And I'm thinking to myself, look, I watched that trailer and it showed him picking up the gun, firing it and them getting hit by something. Well, and they were running away. He shot them in the back and he's throwing daggers. Yeah. Shaped like ours. This is a fundamental misunderstanding of the Titans. It's stupid. It would not surprise me if this does not make the light of day. Well, they're going to drop all 10 issues, all 10 episodes at once Netflix style. So we'll see. Speaking of. DC Universe TV shows, the fourth original show for the DC Universe app will be Stargirl. The story of a heroin addicted ex-porn star. (laughs) Fits right in next to Titans, Swamp Thing, Harley Quinn, Stargirl. Yeah. Jeff Johns will write and act as showrunner. The series focuses on high schooler Courtney Whitmore, stepdaughter of the Star Spangled Kid. Uh, That's a bit of a departure. As she teams up with the Justice Society of America to fight a series of DC villains, the DC CW mastermind Greg Berlanti will executive produce the series. Stargirl is light, light, light. Right. I don't understand how this fits. I don't think we need to worry too much about Greg Berlanti because like he, he has proven that he knows how to do this and he's done a great job with the DC shows and he has nothing to do with the Titans thing. So maybe this will be fine. Maybe this will be the one that makes us feel better. But Jeff Johns, who is showrunning Stargirl, also has a heavy hand in the Titans show. Yeah, which I don't get at all. I, it just, it makes no sense to me. Uh, Absolutely shocking. In the comics, Courtney is the stepdaughter of Stripesy, the Star Spangled Kid's sidekick from right. the 40s. I don't think they want to mention Stripesy. So they've so kind bad. of retconned it, so she's a direct connection to the main hero. Also, uh, she was based on Jeff's sister who passed away in a plane crash oh i didn't know that yeah i have a feeling this one will be a little lighter in tone speaking of lighter in tone the shazam trailer out of nowhere (laughs) man this looks great i wasn't this looks so good i wasn't even expecting them to drop a shazam trailer at this con no we thought we were going to get a teaser at best that's all we thought we were getting. And, and this was a full on trailer. We got to see Zachary Levi in the suit moving. And to be fair, just like I said, when we first saw those pictures, he looks ridiculous. But the way they did it and pulled it off, it's perfect. He looks ridiculous it's in a good perfect. way. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He looks like a ridiculous living comic book character. Right. Like 
And what a little kid would picture a comic book character to be. Uh, this was full of joy. This was funny. This was kids that are friends exploring their friend's superpower. It looks excellent. Yeah, like it was not only was it not only did we get the reveal of Levi as Shazam, we got the iconic moment where Billy says the word and, yeah. and transforms. We got to see the wizard. Yeah. We got to see the cursed subway train. It was really great. It was such a good, joyful, happy trailer. Yeah, this looks fantastic. Way better excited. than I thought it would. Unbelievable. We also got another big DC trailer. Aquaman. James Wan's Aquaman. Starring Jason Momoa. Uh, this seemed like it took place prior to Justice League. It had to have. Because, because he, go, he goes to Atlantis for the first time. Right. He, I, I, like, from what I understand, from what the trailer leads us to believe he may not even know who he is. I mean, I think he knows like who his mom is and that he's got obviously like crazy ocean powers. Right. There's something going on with him, but I don't think he knows he's the king of Atlantis. About his heritage. Right. This is definitely a younger Aquaman. I have been very vocal about Jason Momoa in this part and I don't care for it at all. Honestly, I thought this grows on you. I think he's kind of grown on me. If they dial back the aqua bro bullshit, they will not. Which I'm afraid they're not going to. Because he <sighs> shouts like, badass. <laughs> I know. And the but movie looks cool. It looks the, very cool. Atlantis looks incredible. The effects There's look great. The action scary looks super cool. fish monsters. Black Manta looks amazing. Yeah, it looks really, really cool. And he really, had like the really dual cool. eye blasts. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm just and afraid we're... that Jason Momoa is going to ruin this for me. That's I don't know. That's the only thing I'm afraid James of. James Wan... We're also getting uh, Mira and Ocean Master. Like, this is yeah. kind of action-packed with Aquaman lore. Oh, they're going into it. Yeah. Like, his brother, uh, what's his name? Auric? Ar- Orm. Orm. Yeah, yeah, he's Ocean Master. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, crazy. I thought visually it was stunning. Yeah. It looks incredible. We'll see I, how it goes acting and story-wise. I just worry. The only thing I'm worried about here is Momoa, honestly. I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, the trailer that got me the most that made me freak out and scream out loud when I watched it. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Holy shit. They are leaning into this business. <laughs> we Mothra is in the trailer. Rodan is in the trailer. King Ghidorah? Friggin' King Ghidorah is there. This looks amazing. It did Absolutely look really great. Absolutely amazing. And they're heavily leaning into it. No sign of King Kong here, even though we got a taste of... Oh, well, we got a post-credit scene featuring some of these monsters in the last tease, King yeah. Kong. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling Kong will probably show up in the credits here, setting up the next movie. Or they're saving it. They're saving that reveal for later. Could be, but I kind of doubt it. I think if we're going to see Godzilla and King Kong. It will be Godzilla versus King Kong, the king versus the king of the monsters. That'll be its own movie. Calling my shot. I think right. he shows up in the, in the credit cookies. Regardless, this looked Excellent. It looked so good. It pushed all my giant monster buttons. It looks like they're finally doing it the Japanese monster way, which is, yeah, we live in a world full of monsters. Here they are. They wreck shit. The humans are just in the way. <laughs> Deal yeah. with it. Matthew Broderick's not going to win this time. That's what no, we're going to No, definitely get. <laughs> not. A new Batwoman series is in the works at the CW, and it's going to be part of the Arrowverse and it will spin out of this December's crossover event. 
The show features the Kate Kane version of the character first introduced in the 52 weekly series. We talked about this briefly. They're like full on embracing the Kate Kane Batwoman, Gotham City and the whole deal. I'm into it, man. I I think Batwoman is a great character. And I think of all of the Bat characters in Gotham City, she is the one with the least connective tissue to actual Batman. Yeah, she has, to be fair, or in the pure parlance, she has the least Bat baggage, if you will. The least Bat baggage. Like, <laughs> yeah. The whole deal was like, I saw him one time and yeah. I was inspired. You can do whatever you want with him. And it makes a lot more sense that... Batwoman is running around doing what she's doing and Batman's not there. Then it does that Robin is around, but Batman's not there. Or even that maybe Supergirl's around and Superman only just pops up every once in a while. You can do whatever you want with Batwoman. There's some suspension of disbelief here that you have to put into play. Like you can't have a Supergirl show and expect Superman to show up every five episodes. Of course. Of course. So, I mean, I get it. And and I think they've handled it well. I think yeah. with Batwoman, they have an even easier time. Um, maybe they'll even relocate her out of Gotham because that's the part that will bother me the most. If she's operating in Gotham City. That's stupid. She shouldn't be there. Yeah. I need to know where everybody else is. Right. It just I need to know where is Batman, where is Nightwing, where is everybody right. else. Absolutely. Speaking of leaning into it, the trailer for the new season of The Flash has revealed that Nora Allen, Barry and Iris' daughter from the future introduced last season, is also a speedster called Zzz. XS. <laughs> Sorry, XS. In the comics, Zzz is Barry and Iris' granddaughter, the cousin of Bart Allen, a.k.a. Impulse, Kid Flash, and a member of the Legion of Superheroes. The trailer also teased the iconic costume ring. Cicada will be the season's main villain, played by Omaha's own Chris Klein. I'm just glad he's working. The (laughs) character is described by Warner Brothers as a grizzled blue-collar everyman whose family has been torn apart by metahumans. He now seeks to exterminate the epidemic one metahuman at a time, which is more or less the same as the comics version, except he was an old man that also led a cult. But, you know, whatever. You know, they showed the lightning bolt dagger and everything. Chris Klein's got to be every bit of 35, you know? Chris Klein, yeah, he's probably, I bet he's in his 40s even. Like American Pie was 20 years ago. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Was it 20 years ago? At least. I I bet it was, 1998, dude. At least. Uh, So, excess. They've done some continuity shifting here. They've made her Barry's daughter instead of granddaughter, which is fine. Sure. I can't believe we're living in an age where a considerable number of the Legion of Superheroes are on my television on it's a regular basis. blowing my goddamn mind. <laughs> uh, when she said that she was excess, I almost threw myself out of my chair. Uh, and then they showed the ring. And then from there, I was like, I don't care what else happens. <laughs> no, these jackasses, they know they can get away with this now. And so they're just going full DC nerddom. And this is what they should be doing. And they can get away with it here because it is so well written and the cast is so great i'm super excited for this i I, more flash please i love that tv show that's why the cw version of the dc universe will always be infinitely better because it's just fun anything else they do on an app or on movie screens because berlanti and his team gets it Yeah, they make it fun. It's not necessarily right on. It's not necessarily directly adapted, but it's fun. 
the the spirit. The day, they capture yes. the spirit. Yes, and that's all you gotta do. Well, shoo! That's your San Diego Comic Con news roundup. Now we want to hear from you, nerdy cowhands. So head over to the THN forums and let us know what you think about these stories and everything we missed. You can find them by heading to TwoHeadedNerd.com and clicking on the forums button. Joey, it's time to run this western theme into the goddamn ground while we chase down and hogtie ten more of this week's new comics during the called Dern Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Action Comics 1001 from DC. BM Bendis' second Superman ongoing is here, featuring work by veteran Superman artist Patrick Gleason. Action Comics, ironically, is a bit more down-to-earth, focusing on Superman's time in Metropolis and his supporting cast at the Daily Planet. As fun as it is to see Superman punch Brainiac or whatever, I love Superman interacting with regular people. So I actually preferred this to Superman number one. I did too. The arson subplot started back in Man of Steel starts to take shape here, and Bendis ends the issue on a cliffhanger that has me really curious and kind of worried. I don't know if it's the presence of colorist Alejandro Sanchez, but Gleason's already outstanding art I feel like it's taken a considerable leap forward in this issue. Yeah, he looks even better. This is a gorgeous comic book. One six-issue mini and two first issues later, and I'm convinced Superman is in good hands. Action Comics 1001 gets a buy it. Absolutely. I I enjoyed this more than Superman as well. I just thought it was fucking fantastic. I love that Bendis is doing this. Justice League Dark number one from DC. I hate the title of this book. Call it anything else. Justice League of Magic, for example. Anything else but I'll be damned if James Tinian IV doesn't write the hell out of this team. Wonder Woman spends most of the issue trying to recruit the team of Zatanna, the best damn version of the Swamp Thing I have seen drawn in years, Detective Chimp, and a Man Bat that I absolutely love. This version of the Man Bat caught me totally off guard. It, and was, it was so great. Very It's just like, a dude running around with a bat head. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. The first issue had guest appearances from all your favorite DC magic characters. Even Zoriel popped up here. And the art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno instantly put this guy on the map as one to watch. I'm giving this a massive buy it. It was fucking fantastic. It was very good. Jessica Jones, number one from Marvel. Marvel's Digital Originals line expands here with Brian Michael Bendis' hand-picked successor... Kelly Thompson at the helm. Jessica's life is in a really good place. Her marriage with Luke Cage is stronger than ever. She's got an extended family of superhero weirdos that love her. And her private investigator business, Alias Investigation, is doing less bad. (laughs) But when an old client turns up dead in her office, Jessica gets caught up in a hero-killing conspiracy. Over the course of this double-sized issue, Thompson proves that she's the perfect choice to take the reins of Jessica Jones, Mattia de Lilius. Sorry. The artist delivers some great art that is quite a bit different than what we're used to from, uh, say, like Michael Gatos, but it still really fits the story. Kelly Thompson is quickly becoming one of Marvel's best writers, and Jessica Jones, number one, is proof it's a buy it. Haven't read it yet. Plan to real quick here. It's really great. Real Science Adventures, The Nicodemus Job, number one from IDW. 
Atomic Rebel creator and writer Brian Clevenger writes this caper book that takes place in ancient Constantinople with art by the wildly talented Meredith McLaren. The two set up a wonderful cast in the spirit of Steven Soderbergh's Oceans movies with a historical twist. The story was fine, but it almost takes a backseat to a cast that you can't help but instantly fall in love with. This book was a ton of fun. I'm giving it a buy it. Bone Parish, number one from Boom! A new drug is sweeping through the streets of New Orleans, one made from the ashes of the dead. Count me in. The problem is, use too much and your trippy hallucinations of the dead turn into terrifyingly real nightmares. I'm still in. This is another great horror concept from the mind of Cullen Bunn, with some really stunning artwork from Jonas Scharf. Not only is the horror hook cool, but I also really loved the criminal intrigue between the family that manufactures the drug and their rival cartels. Bone Parish number one gets a huge buy it. The New World number one from Image. Ailish Cott returns with a dystopian future where police work and reality TV rule. There's a very strong Philip K. Dick vibe to Cott's story, and it is great. But the real star here is penciler Trad Moore, who has graduated to truly amazing. The design and look of this comic is fresh, pop art taken to its logical conclusion, and at times completely nuts. This is one of the best-looking sci-fi comics I've read in years, and the story matched the insanity of the art. I can't stress this enough. This book was so damn cool. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Plan to see this one on my Golden Beppo list at the end of the year, I think. Oh, wow. Mr. and Mrs. X, number one. From Marvel, the wedding we all demanded, not the Kitty and Colossus one, the other one. The other one, right. (laughs) Gambit and Rogue have tied the knot, and what's the best way for a couple of mutant superhero sweethearts to celebrate their honeymoon? By fighting the Shi'ar Imperial Guard in deep space. I really enjoyed the Rogue and Gambit miniseries by writer Kelly Thompson, and she continues her excellent take on my favorite mutant couple, Sorry, Matt Bomb. Oh, come on. Are you serious? Look, I love Rogue and Gambit. Sorry. Get out of here. Oscar Bazaluda's art is pretty decent, though he has kind of a fluid grasp of anatomy. I'll say this, though. Mr. and Mrs. X is one of the dumbest names for a comic book ever. Yeah, it's terrible. Name it Rogue and Gambit. Are you trying to lose sales? Yeah. I'm giving it a buy it. Britannia, Lost Eagles of Rome, number one from Valiant. Peter Milligan is one of the most underappreciated comic writers of our time, and he's showing off his love of Sherlock Holmes by picturing him as a chief detectioner of ancient Rome. Robert Gill's art gives the story a feel of Hal Foster's iconic Prince Valiant work here. Milligan and Gill give this Roman detective story a sense of history and kick-ass fiction to make this new Britannia book feel important, well-illustrated, authentic, and absolutely worth reading. I am giving this a bite. The Long Con, number one from Oni. Five years ago, a cataclysmic event obliterated everything within a 50-mile radius of the Los Spinoza Convention Center, including the attendees of Long Con, (laughs) the world's biggest and longest comic convention. (laughs) But unknown to the outside world, the con-goers not only survived, they kept the convention going. (laughs) Of course they did. (laughs) And inside the convention center, they have created their own dystopian world. Dylan McConus, Ben Coleman, Emily Denich, and Victoria Roboto have a 
really fun concept on their hands here. Not only that, but this issue was really funny and had great art. I'm giving the long con number one a buy it. Check I it out. I love the plot. That setup is great. Psycho KO number one from Alterna Comics. The robot face pinball wizarding surfer extraordinaire Psycho KO returns to reclaim his pinball and surfing titles from the smug Kuda Kano. Writer, artist Rob Feldman scripts this book with the feel of a Space Ghost coast-to-coast plot meets superhero Tiki Lunacy. It's equal parts Mike Alred's Madman meets C-Lab 2020 in this super surf-off, and it's only going to cost you $1.50. So buy it, you jerks! That deaf, dumb, blind kid, Psycho K.O., returns to reclaim his (laughs) pinball title. Crash! That is your ludicrous speed round, and <laughs> crash! Ah! Is a sound when the P splashes back on you? As seen in the page. Okay, as seen in the pages of Batman Fifty One. I thought that was going somewhere else. No, nah, it's when ba- it's when Bruce Wayne yanks the urinal out of the wall and throws it. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Submitted by Anno Sionis. You can find him at Anno That Guy. A N O That Guy via Twitter. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can splash it all over any of our social media, or you can shoot us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> Holy shit, that is it for THN episode 495. The 2018 San Diego Comic-Con Roundup. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, I need you to ask these kids a new question of the week. Okay, so this week's question takes a little explaining. Okay. It came from a random thought I had after watching Ant-Man and the Wasp with help from our pal Kevin Coffey. I couldn't stop thinking about how the plumbing worked in that building Hank Pym kept shrinking and carrying around like a damn suitcase. I told you, it just pours onto the ground. (laughs) Does it have a huge internal septic tank that he has to flush every few weeks? Do they just shit in the woods? Do they have porta-potties? Does he just shrink the waist down to the size of a mouse turd and flush it? After brainstorming with Kevin, his wife Ashley, and our friend Jessica Boyd from Comicosity's The Hangout Podcast, Kevin suggested we turn this into a question of the week. So, with all that, what are your favorite super-powered solutions to mundane problems or tasks? For a specific example, Spider-Man making a backpack out of webbing to carry his street clothes. Yeah, that's a great one. So, we're looking for specific examples from comics, but if you've come up with a brilliant original idea, hit us up. We'll take that, too. I love it. THN is a listener-supported podcast, and we want to thank everyone that shows out their hard-earned cash they could be spending at their local comic book shop every week by supporting the show on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we cannot afford all the toilet paper that Joe Patrick needs because that dude spends a lot of time in the bathroom. Also, as you can tell (laughs) by picking this weird bathroom centric question. (laughs) Look, I'm just saying the toilet is where I do most of my thinking. (laughs) Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Paul Tobin, the Eisner Award winning co-creator of Colder and Bandette. About a month or so ago, his wife, writer, artist Colleen Coover, posted that Paul had been diagnosed with melanoma in his left eye. Which, how does that even happen? Is that like a gypsy curse kind of thing? (laughs) I don't know. God. 
Luckily, the cancer is very treatable and Colleen reported on Monday that surgery to remove the tumor went very well and I saw Paul tweeting online he's doing well. Yes. Word to you, Paul and Colleen. We hope you get better real soon because that yeah. is some scary shit. No doubt. Till next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just come and poke out your eye. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off.